Guys, if I have not met you, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Jose, our lead pastor, has been on sabbatical, and I'm just so thankful he's gotten this season to rest. And we've been on this summer uh, series of encountering Jesus. And this, this series is really built around uh, even things I was just praying about. One, we believe God's alive. We believe that God is alive. We don't, wor- we don't worship somebody who's dead in a grave. We worship somebody who's alive and seated on the throne. And we believe that God's word is alive. And that God's word actually encounters us. And when God encounters us as we open his word, we also believe that he transforms our life. And so we're worshiping a God who is alive and worshiping a God who transforms. But when we come here week in and week out, we're actually, uh, there's a big ask here. We're asking God to move. We're asking God to show up. We're asking God to transform lives. And this isn't something I can conjure up here. Uh, And so I know we just prayed, but I'm going to pray again because this is really a plea of desperation to God. To, to, to speak through some words. Because if not, I'm just sharing some stuff from some notes. And if God doesn't move, we're just singing some songs. And we actually want to do more than that. We want to encounter the living God. So I know I just prayed, but I'm going I'm to pray again. Just praying that God would speak through me, through his word, uh, because I am not gifted enough. Uh, as, as gifted as our team is up here, we're, none of us are special enough that we are going to be able to manipulate this. So we're going to ask God to move. So join me again in praying. Uh, we believe God's alive and he's here and he's hearing us. So let, let's, let's talk to him. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that your word's alive. And I, I come here and I pray, this is not a performance thing. I, I come here believing that I uh, am just a man and I just have some notes that I believe that you prepared and I'm asking you to move powerfully through this time. I thank you that your word is living and active, and we pray that those that need to be uh, convicted in this space would be, those that need to be comforted in this space would be. Lord, we pray that you would move and have your way here now. Lord, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that I got nothing to prove and nobody to impress up on this stage because my identity is not in anything I'm about to say uh, from a performance standpoint. My identity is in you. And thank you that everybody here has nothing to prove, nobody to impress. They don't got to put on a face because our identity is in you. It's sealed, it's secure, it's done, and we can be free. So Jesus, I thank you for all this. I pray this time will be helpful. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so I got a question to kick us off here. What is your favorite thing to read for fun? What's your favorite thing to read for fun? And some of you just right now, you're like, what is reading for fun? Like some of you are sitting here right now being like, I'm like what, do you do? what do you like to read in your free time? And some of you are like, what is this mythical creature you're talking about of free time, right? I, I actually, I was at our, our men's group uh, last week and somebody asked me, hey, what do you, what do you like to, what do you read for, for fun? And I said, well, I'm reading the book that we're doing for our men's group. Uh, I said, I'm reading this book that me and some of our pastors are walking through. I'm reading this, uh, I'm reading this thing to help our, our 26 West Church men's thing grow. And he was like, so you're not reading for fun. And I was like, well, and he's like, no, you're not reading for fun. And I was like, well, no, I, I like reading. Uh, it is fun, but no, I'm not reading for fun. Uh, but if I was, if I was, you know, reading for fun, some of my favorite stories, books, or movies are ones just with the incredible plot twist. I don't know about you, like a great plot twist is some of my all-time favorite stories. Uh, it, it's the one where the plot twist happens and then the, the whole story is seen in a new light, right? It's everything falls into place. And, and now you understand what was going on all along, right? You know what stories I'm talking about? I know for me, the first time I ever read Harry Potter, uh, if you're reading it right now for the first time, now would be a really good time to plug your ears. Uh, I remember reading it for the first time. You have your warning. Three, two, one. I'm going to spoil it. Uh, I remember reading for the first time that Severus Snape is actually 
like, good and actually was, like, defending Harry Potter this whole time. And I remember just reading it, like, what in the world? Like, I, the whole story started to make sense, like, in a new way. If you're into movies, like, uh, I remember watching The Prestige for the first time. And I remember thinking, like, you're watching these dueling magicians that are both, like, ramping up, and you realize, wait, one of the, magi- one of the magicians actually just has an identical twin. And they're, you know, he's, he's actually not performing magic. It's just, uh, he just has an identical twin. And it's like the whole movie starts to make so much more sense with that. Uh, I remember uh, watching for the first time, some of these movies you only watch once. Now you'll not watch any of them because I've spoiled it. Uh, I remember watching for the first time, uh, and the only time, The Usual Suspects and Kaiser Sose, right? And it's this amazing movie where uh, the character, this, this criminal mastermind, this person who's in charge of it all, they're looking for him. And the police are interviewing this unsuspecting kind of low-grade criminal. And you find out the person they were interviewing the entire time actually was the mastermind himself. It's the, it's the classic line, the, the great, I see dead people, right? Like when you find that out, the whole movie changes, right? Like, and all these stories, once you see the twist, once you see the truth, you can't unsee it. And the entire story now is seen in light of this truth, right? I see dead people, the Snape revelation, all of these all-time twists are actually keys that unlock the truth of the story. They're actually keys that unlock the truth of the story. And for the Bible, the key that unlocks the story is Jesus and his resurrection, It's Jesus and his resurrection. And today what we're going to get to do is see two people experience this jaw-dropping plot twist on a road trip with Jesus. We get to see Jesus himself as the great author, the great author himself, lead us through the greatest plot twist in the history of the world because the greatest plot twist of all time is the one who had died is alive. The one who is dead has risen. This isn't I see dead people. This is, I'm alive, which is way better, right? This is way better than I see dead people. It's, I'm alive. (laughs) And like every great plot twist, there were clues all along the story that told you this was going to happen. But the question is, did we have eyes to see it? So let's, let's open our Bibles. Let's see how Jesus chooses to reveal his great plot twist. We're looking today at Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It's Luke 24. We got three movements. Number one, the resurrection, the great plot twist, the resurrection, number one makes our hope come true. If you're taking notes, the resurrection, number one, makes our hope come true. Read with me, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Okay, so let's stop there. Uh, Let's set the stage. What's going on? Who are these people? What day is it? What's happening? Well, last week we ended with Jesus being condemned to death by Pilate. If you you missed it, go back and listen to that. Uh, Jesus performs the great exchange, the greatest exchange, and dies on the cross for us. We also talked about this showdown between Jesus and Caesar, right? And how Jesus is the greater king because he rose again. Friday, if we just follow the, the chronological timeline, Friday, Jesus dies, and Sunday morning, he rises again. It's why we worship on Sunday morning, is because it symbol, it's the time that Jesus rose from the dead. And verse 13 in our text says, that same day, and the question is, the same day as what? Well, it's the same day as you look right before it. It's the same day as the resurrection. Earlier that same Sunday morning, that great first Easter Sunday morning, women went to the tomb of Jesus because Jesus really died. He was really buried, uh, but then he really wasn't there, right? An angel tells them, Jesus is risen, just like he said, remember? Like just, he said he was going to die and rise again. Do you remember? 
these women, they run back, they tell the apostles, and the apostles don't believe them. You can, you can read it for yourself. And so Peter and John are like, we got to go check this out. They run to the tomb, and indeed they find it empty. And later that same Sunday morning, we find our text in Luke 24, 13 and beyond. And we see these other two disciples of Jesus. They're walking from Jerusalem seven miles to Emmaus, talking about all that had happened. We see that they are confused. We see that they're hopeless. We see that they are disappointed. But what they don't know, what we know, is a great plot twist is coming. So let's keep reading verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside uh, with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their face downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And so Jesus asked, what things? <laughs> well, there's a lot here. Uh, first, you might be wondering, why can't they recognize Jesus? Like, they, they can't see him. They, they can't recognize him. And the answer is, we don't know. This is a mystery. I, I read a lot of commentaries, and there's a lot of ink spilled basically to say, we don't know. Like, we have no idea. Uh, we don't know why they couldn't recognize him. But what we do know is this passage, like last week, is just bursting with irony. Uh, Pastor Garrett Kell says this, and he captures it well. He says, The disciples were baffled that this mysterious man hadn't, hadn't heard of all that happened in Jerusalem. As readers, were baffled that they can't see whom they're speaking with, right? Like, we're sitting here being like, do you not see what's going on? There's this irony bursting in this passage. And I think this passage is evidence, among many passages, that Jesus just had a great sense of humor. Like, I think Jesus had an incredible sense of humor. You can just picture the scene, right? Can't you just picture Jesus' smirk on his face as he's saying this? Can you picture he walks up to them like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, dude. They just stop looking. Are you serious? Like, this would be like Eugene uh, if, if the Ducks actually won a college football national championship. You know, it's the next day. Imagine for a second, uh, my wife went to USC. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going here. And uh, I paid for some student loans. I, I, I inherited this. So I get, to, I get to join in, right? So imagine in Eugene, there's great celebration. It's the day after this, this, you know, great celebration, right? And somebody walks up like, hey, what are you guys talking about? It's like, there's only one thing to talk about. Like, we're talking about what happened. You know, Jesus asked them, like, you know, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only person that doesn't know about the things that happened here, dude? And you just picture Jesus just smirk on his face. What things, right? Like, what things are we talking about here, right? Verse 19, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading this, uh, this pretty, uh, just interesting and ironic exchange. He asked what things? They replied, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests were our rulers, handed over to him to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions, they went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. I mean, can, can you feel the disappointment in their voices? Can, can, you, can you just feel it in their voices here? Can you feel the disappointment in them? They, they were hoping 
that this was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping that this was the one. They were waiting so long for the Messiah to come. They were hoping this was the one who was going to come and redeem and forgive sin and undo the curse, bring the kingdom of God, set the world right. They were hoping. They thought Jesus was the one, but he died. Like we thought he was the one, but he's dead. They're like, he was supposed to set us free, not be captured himself. He was supposed to, to make us alive, not be put to death. They're saying he's supposed to conquer Rome, not be conquered by them. They're saying we watched him die. Now there's some women saying an angel said he rose from the dead. We, I, they couldn't find the body. He wasn't there. We don't know. He's, Jesus is gone. And you see they're confused. They're jaded. And now they're like, we don't, we don't even know what to believe anymore. We're going home. And you just feel the disappointment. And it says earlier in the passage that their faces, they were downcast. I want to say they're right. Like, this is right. If Jesus is not alive, then, then we have no hope. If Jesus is dead, we have no hope because it means death wins. It means sin wins. It means evil wins. It means injustice wins. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the world is a cruel, dark place. Good luck. Best of luck to you. Like, Good luck. The world is dark and broken and there's nothing you can do about it. Scripture literally tells us that if the resurrection is not real, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This whole thing, this faith, pointless. Being here, worthless. The whole thing, useless. Paul literally says that the resurrection is not real. Christians should be pitied above all people. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Some people say, I, you know, I don't know if I believe in the resurrection, but I like to have Jesus as like a good teacher. And I say, you can't have Jesus as a nice moral teacher if he's in the grave. Like, there's no reason. Like, if Jesus didn't rise again, he's a fool. He is a liar, and he's not worth following. He said he would rise again. If he didn't, he's a liar. He's not worth listening to, and your faith in him is pointless. But if he did rise, then everything changes. Everything changes because, again, Jesus and his resurrection is the key that unlocks. It is the great plot twist that unlocks the entire biblical story. But this isn't just some private religious story. This is the true story of the world. This is the resurrection is the turning point of all of history itself. See, this is the watershed moment of our faith, yes, but also of hope itself. If Jesus is alive, this changes everything. Changes everything. So we've got to kind of pause here for a second and say, if our whole faith, if this whole reason we're here hinges upon the resurrection, well, then you better have a good reason to believe it, right? Like, you better have a reason to believe in the resurrection if this is the whole thing that we're gathered here for. Like, and I want to say good news. We actually have a lot of reason to believe in the resurrection. One of, the, one of the things that we'll have to concede as believers is we have faith. Yes, we absolutely have faith. But it is not a blind faith in the resurrection. Faith, but not a blind faith. See, part of my job up here, part of anybody's job up here is to tell uh, the truth. But also part of my job up here is to strengthen your faith in the truth. So I got a few quick reasons to believe in the resurrection. Got a few reasons that we can have hope and we can actually have our feet planted securely in the resurrection. And we're going to have some fun with this. This is going to be kind of a, a candid conversation that I'm going to invite us to, to think critically about this, but also have a little bit of a, a playfulness to this. So first, fundamentally, if we're going to believe, like, why should we believe the resurrection is real? Why should we believe that it's true? Why should we have faith in this? Well, first, 
the tomb's empty. Like, and we got to do something with it. <laughs> like, we got to do something with the reality that the tomb is empty. And this isn't just some random tomb. This is a tomb where everyone knew where it was. It's a tomb where there was a platoon of Roman soldiers guarding it, whose entire job was to make sure nobody got in, nobody got out. And not only that, they rolled a giant stone in front of it. And the body's gone. We got to do something with that. Like, are we saying that mummy Jesus, like, broke out of the thing, like, kicking open the stone, like... Like, what are, we, what are we saying happened here? Fought off all the Roman soldiers? Like, what, what's going on? Like, what happened here? Are we thinking that, like, Peter, who just, like, is, is a coward and, like, can't even stand up to anybody around a campfire, is all of a sudden leading band of brothers to take over the Roman soldiers? Like, what? Like, we got to do something. Like, what, what's going on here? You know, why should we believe in the resurrection? One, the tomb's empty. We got to explain it. Two, Paul says in the scriptures that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. That's amazing. Like Paul, when he's, he's, read 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know, Jesus appeared to the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 people. Christianity is altogether distinct in this. It is built around a public and historic series of events. Jesus was publicly crucified, and then he was publicly raised from the dead. Paul says, you want to know about it? You don't got to come talk to me. Come talk to any of these 500 people that saw it. Talk to these five, and one of the things I studied, uh, last week you learned that I, I I first started studying film. It was something I, I wanted to do. Uh, got out of that, felt a call into ministry, so I thought, oh, I'll study religious studies. Uh, so did that, and uh, studied all kinds, Islam, Buddhism, studied critical uh, criticisms of religion, all that. And uh, one thing that's distinct about Christianity is this historical reality. Every other religion is built around this. Some individual having a private religious experience, and you just have to trust that it happened. You got to trust that Siddhartha Gautama had the religious experience under the Bodhi tree. You can't go verify it. You just got to trust it happened. You got to trust that Joseph Smith saw the golden tablets. You're not allowed to see them, though. You're not allowed to see them. Like, can I see them? Nope. You got to just trust that Joseph Smith saw those things. Like, whereas Jesus, what we see is, hey, there's 500 people that saw him rise from the dead. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. And, and one of the criticisms of this is people say, well, they must have just had a hallucination. I mean, like, 500 people experiencing the same thing is not a hallucination. It's called an event. <laughs> 500 people, if we, if 500 of us, we walk and say, like, this happened on this stage. We weren't all hallucinating. This is an event that happened. What you cannot deny historically is at this time, a man named Jesus died on the cross, was buried. The body was not found. Hundreds of people are saying he rose again and that they saw him. This is a historical fact. The question really is just this. Were they lying or did it happen? Were they lying or did it happen? And we got to ask ourselves, what did, the, what did the apostles gain from lying? Like imagine, like, let's, let's just assume for a second they're lying. And they got the body buried out back. They, they somehow like commandeered and took over the soldiers, you know, like they, they did that. And then they've got the body buried out back. You know, imagine they're like, steal the body, like, oh, bury Jesus out back. Like, we're going we're gonna to go lie about this. Like, what, what do they have to gain from this? They're not gaining power. They're not gaining money, <laughs> They all die in like a shameful, poor, disgraceful way. What are they having to gain from this? Like, are they really dying for something that they know is a lie? Are they really doing this? Well, what is going on here? Also, if you're going to tell a lie and that this, this thing is just a lie, you know, this, like they write down that women are the witnesses to the resurrection. But, but women, like, here's the thing about the Bible. Let's stop here for a second. This, yes. The Bible is 
the ancient document that actually uh, validates when we see from the first pages that I don't necessarily plan on sharing this, that, that God creates a man and woman in his image. That if you want to find a book that validates women, that gives uh, dignity to women, it's the Bible. Because in this day and age, women's testimony was not considered valid in court. So if you're going to make up a story, you don't have people whose testimony isn't even valid in court to make up the story, right? Like this is, if you're going to tell a lie, this is not how you do it. And maybe my favorite reason to believe in the resurrection is Jesus' own brother worships him as the risen Lord. Like this is amazing. Like you might, you might be awesome. Maybe. Like you might be awesome. And you might be able to convince some people that you're awesome as well. But good luck getting your own brother to worship you as God. Are you going to worship your own brother as God? Like, come on. Like, good luck. Like, this happened. James has a book in the Bible. Like, and again, these are all liars. Either James is going to be like, he's buried out back, guys. We, we all know that. Right? Like, either they're liars or it happened. Either way, here's the thing. Either way, you're taking a step of faith. Either way, you're taking a step of faith. And for me, I'm putting all my chips on, on Jesus, that he is who he said he was, that these apostles gained nothing from lying, and they're just bearing witness to what they saw and experienced and heard, that indeed Jesus is alive. And reason and evidence says you should do the same. The resurrection is real, and therefore all our hopes and dreams are real as well. The resurrection is not just the resurrection of a body. It is the resurrection of hope is the resurrection of hope, for this means that Jesus is alive, that renewal, forgiveness, justice, life, beauty, reconciliation, redemption, salvation, that all these things are alive as well. Hope, faith, life is alive, for Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. See, the resurrection is the turning point of all of history. That's our big point today. See, the death of Jesus marked the end of the old, and the resurrection of Jesus marked the beginning of the new. It is the turning point of all of history. Jesus is revealing on this road to Emmaus the great plot twist. His resurrection, if you're taking notes, one, makes our hope come true. But number two, it makes the story make sense. It makes the story make sense. Pick it back up, verse 25. Let's keep looking. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all the prophets had spoken! Did the Messiah, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and that's just shorthand for all the scriptures, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So for Cleopas and the other disciples, I got good news and bad news for you. Good news and bad news. Bad news, you always start with the bad news, right? Bad news, you get rebuked by Jesus because you didn't believe him and you didn't know the scriptures. Like, that's pretty bad news. Like, sorry. Jesus rebukes you pretty harshly. Uh, that's the bad news. But I got good news. You're about to get the best Bible study of all time. Like, right? Like, you're about to get the most amazing Bible study ever. Uh, part of my role here is to give leadership to our community groups. Uh, and I'm passionate about groups. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the holy grail of community groups that's about to happen here right now. Like, can you imagine 
Can you imagine? Like you roll into your group. Let's say it's my community group. And I'm like, hey guys, I don't know how I spaced on this, but I forgot to send an email. But we have a surprise tonight. Uh, we have a special guest that's going to lead us in discussion. And it's Jesus himself, uh, the God incarnate, is coming to lead us in discussion. And the topic tonight is how Jesus is the center of all the scriptures. It's going to be pretty amazing. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I don't know how you forgot the email, Stephen. That one you might want to let people know about. Uh, and compared to that, uh, my group is awful. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, group. I will never compare to this amazing reality that is going on. Sounds awesome, because it was. <laughs> and the question that immediately comes to mind on this greatest Bible study of all time is what did Jesus show them? Now, do you wonder that? Like, what did Jesus go through? Like, what was the content of this best Bible study ever? Well, I'm not Jesus. That one's for free. Uh, but I am going to try to give my best shot at diving into what I think this may have looked like. So I want you to look again. What does it say right there? It says, Jesus says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? See, they think, if, if we enter into Cleopas and the other disciples' mind, they think that Jesus' death actually disqualifies him from being the one right? They think his death actually proves he can't be the one because he died. What Jesus is going to show them that his death was actually the prerequisite. It was required of him being the one, to be the one that was promised of old. See, uh, also what you got to notice in this section is Jesus hasn't revealed himself yet. So we have this like ironic third person thing happening, right? Like, again, I think Jesus has got a good sense of humor here. Jesus is talking about himself without yet revealing himself. He's going to be talking about himself, but not yet revealing himself. So he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What did this best Bible study ever look like? I wonder. Let's, let's, let's imagine. Let's, be, let's, let's entertain this idea for a second. I wonder if Jesus opened. He said, Clearly you guys don't know your Bibles. So let's just start at the beginning. All right, let's open our Bible, Genesis 1. And what if you would have started at the beginning and said, Read with me, guys. Come on, what does it say? Let us make man in our image. What if he was like, guys, who's the hour? And he's like, it's Jesus. Right there at the beginning. Jesus was there at the beginning. Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus was there from the very beginning. I wonder if he turned over a page to Genesis 3 and read about that, that offspring of Eve who was coming to destroy the serpent, who, was, who had deceived and tempted and brought uh, sin into the world. I wonder if he, he opened to those pages and said, who do you think's the one whose heel got bitten? Who do you think is the one that crushed the snake under its foot? It was Jesus dying was him being bitten. And the resurrection is him smashing that serpent's head. I wonder if he said it was Jesus all along. Jesus rose again, defeating that old foe once and for all. I've got to believe that Jesus opened to the, the prophet Isaiah 9 and read that prophecy of old that we read at Christmas time and said, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And he's, I wonder if he's saying, like, who do you think this was, guys? You, you, were taught, you, you know my mom. Like, who do you think this was? I mean, you heard the stories about those angels that can't, like, you know the story. Who do you think this was? He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. His government will have no end, and he'll rule forever on David's throne. I wonder if he said, guys, that was Jesus. That's Jesus. I wonder if he turned a few pages to Isaiah 53 and read about the suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. I wonder if Jesus said, who in the world do you think this was about, guys? I wonder if he was just like, who do you think was crushed? Who do you think was pierced? Who, who do you think this was, guys? 
It was Jesus dying. The Messiah dying, being rejected, suffering. It was all according to plan. I wonder if Jesus is saying to them, none of this should have surprised you guys. I mean, Jesus himself said over and over and over again, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. Okay, so you guys believe that like you saw him die. It's the third day. What do you think was going to happen? Like, I wonder what he said in these things. I mean, he's pointing himself to them, to all of Scripture, because Jesus' resurrection is the key that unlocks the entire biblical story. He's the key that makes the story make sense. Jesus is the author of this story. He's the hero of this story. And I also wonder if Jesus did this. (laughs) I wonder if Jesus went through his Bible uh, with these two on this road and said, remember all those heroes in this thing that you love? I wonder if Jesus said, they all point to Jesus. That Jesus is greater than all of them. I wonder if Jesus said to them, Jesus is the greater Adam. If you're taking notes, there'll be a bunch of these up here. Jesus is the greater Adam, who's the true son of God, who stood firm in temptation, is the new representative of humanity, and undoes the curse through his death and resurrection. I wonder if Jesus said, Jesus is the greater Abraham, who's gathering a people from all tribes and tongues and nations who outnumber the stars in the sky, united by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the greater Joseph who was rejected and betrayed, but what those people intended for evil, God intended for good and for the saving of many lives through his death and resurrection. See, Jesus is the greater Moses, who delivers a greater exodus from a greater master than Pharaoh to a greater promised land than Israel. Jesus emancipated you from the tyranny of sin and is leading you to the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is the greater temple, the very place that you can encounter God. But you don't have to go to a building. He is going to dwell in you by his spirit, nearer than ever before. Jesus isn't just the greater temple. He's the greater temple sacrifice, atoning through his once and for all death on the cross, the payment for our sins that separated us from God. Jesus is the greater David, who's the true king, bringing a kingdom of life and justice and joy and love that never ends forever and ever. And he's overthrown every enemy through his resurrection, including the final enemy, death itself. Jesus isn't done. He's the greater Jonah, who's the true prophet, who's the very word of God. But unlike Jonah, he did not reluctantly preach to his enemies. He brought good news to his enemies and he went much further. He died for them as well. Jesus is the greater Esther, who left his palace and place of comfort to save his people no matter the cost. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah, who leads his people from exile in the world to citizenship in the family of God. And we could do this all day because Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. Amen? Jesus is greater. The entire Bible is about Jesus. He's the author. He's the hero. He's the key. And it all makes sense only because of his resurrection. This is the best Bible study ever. Not what I'm saying, what Jesus was saying on the road, right? And one day we can get it firsthand when we meet our Savior face to face. We can ask him, what did you talk about on that road to Emmaus? But for today, our big idea is Jesus is revealing the great plot twist, his resurrection, which one, makes our hope come true. Two, makes the story make sense. And number three, makes our heart burn ablaze. Makes our heart burn ablaze. Pick it up, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What's going on? Jesus finishes his teaching. He, t- he finishes this Bible study, and then they urge him to stay. They break bread, this moment intentionally, if you're thinking, that sounds a lot like communion. That sounds a lot like the Last Supper. It's supposed to. It intentionally is echoing this Last Supper communion, which uh, should not surprise us because that's the very symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. Their eyes are opened. They recognize Jesus. And just like that, he disappears. (laughs) And again, we don't know why Jesus chooses to go about this way. There's mystery surrounding this. But what's not a mystery is this great plot twist. That the one they were with, they finally see, the one that they were with the whole time was indeed Jesus. And this means good news. He indeed is alive. See, they finally are seeing the key to the story, what we're talking about all morning here, that Jesus is alive. The resurrection is true. And then they ask, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts burned as they were with the risen Jesus, opening his word. I want to slow down a bit and kind of turn the camera around away from Emmaus and kind of towards us here this evening or this morning. I want to ask us a question. And I want us to be honest about where we're at here this morning. Is do our hearts burn for Jesus and his word? Do our hearts burn for the scriptures? And for some of us, we've got to be real. Our passion for the Word has run cool. Maybe it used to burn, you know, maybe when we were at camp, like, but not anymore. Life's too busy. It's too hard to make time. Days, maybe weeks go by, and the Bible sits on the shelf, and our hearts are cooling and cooling and cooling. And it's not that we don't believe the Bible's true. It's just that our hearts don't burn a blaze for it. So we don't get into it. And you might be sitting here thinking like, cool, the pastor's telling me I should have, be passionate about the Bible. Like, not a surprise. That is not a plot twist, right? Like, I, it might be tempting to think like, I bet Stephen just loves reading the Bible all the time. This must come very easy. And I, I, like, I'm a man. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm not the answer. I, I just try to point to the guy who is. Like, I'm not above sin and struggle. Like, there are many times that I open the Bible and it is an act of discipline to be there. I don't have any, like, secret access to God that you don't have. I don't have any secret, like, like affections for the Lord that are inaccessible for anybody else because I have some title or because I'm up here on a stage. There are many times that my heart feels cool towards the Scriptures. There are many times. I, I don't stand above anybody in this room. But the good news for me and for you is Jesus loves to answer the prayer to make our hearts burn with passion for His Word. Jesus is alive. His word is alive. And he can make our hearts burn ablaze again for it. This is what I ask. When's the last time you asked God to give you an insatiable hunger for God, for his word, for his way? When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you asked God, give me a hunger for you? Give me an appetite for your word. Give me a thirst for your way. I was going to say, pray this. I believe this is a prayer God loves to receive. Almost daily I'm praying this. 
because I need my, the fire to be lit again daily. And I want to encourage us to pray this prayer over and over. God, light a fire in me for you. And we, we need to hear that, like, the people on the road to Emmaus, they, they urged Jesus to stay, and God had to reveal himself to them. There, there's another mystery here. There's, there's a dance here of, of our part and God's part. There's a dance here a bit of our part and God's part. And our part is to show up. Our part is to show up and to urge Jesus to stay with us through time in prayer, through time in the scriptures. And sometimes this just showing up. Sometimes when it's like, I don't feel like being here right now, but I'm showing up is a step of faith. Sometimes that is the step of faith, is just showing up. You know what I would say? Like, you can, if you went to the gym at some Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. and you don't feel like being there, I'll tell you that workout's not worthless, even if you didn't feel like being there. Like, sit up, still work, whether you're motivated or unmotivated to be there. Like, God's Word is living and active, and it still works. It still, it still can burn. It still can change us. It still can transform us, whether we've got a passion or not. Sometimes just showing up is the act of faith. Even when we don't feel like it. That's our part. Our part is to show up. And I believe that God will honor His part to meet us, to encounter us, to set our hearts ablaze with passion and love and appetites for his word. The question for us today is, are we doing our part? Are we like Elijah? We could have done Jesus is the better Elijah. He's the greater Elijah. But are we Elijah setting the sacrifice, preparing the altar, and asking the Lord to bring the fire? And my application to us is this. Ask Jesus to change our heart's affections. Pray this prayer every day. And in a step of faith, get in the word every day. Let us treat it like our lives depend on it because it does. Let us treat it like it's the very words of life because it is. And when you fail, when four days go by, when four weeks go by, let us remember the gospel which says God loves you when you're at your worst. That God loves you and chooses you and is for you even when you're at your most unfaithful. Pastor Ray Ortland gives this incredible comfort, church. He says, quote, God is better at saving than we are at sinning. God is better at saving than we are at sinning. And that's good news, amen? I love that. I mentioned Elijah. And I just want to say, if God can cause a fire to burn down on a waterlogged altar, <laughs> a water-soaked altar, if you know the story, then goodness gracious, he can make a fire burn in your heart again as well. He can make a fire burn in your heart as well. Let us do our part. Last verses, 33 through 35. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, just joy is palpable. It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. He's appeared to Peter. And then the two on the road to Emmaus, uh, road to Emmaus told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized that by them when he broke the bread. In closing, one writer says about the road to Emmaus, he says, the solemn one-way trip becomes a joyful round trip. The solemn one-way trip turns into a joyful round trip. So the question is, what changed? Well, we know what changed. They encountered the risen Jesus. And my prayer today is that you would encounter him as well that you'd encounter him through his word, that you'd burn ablaze for him, and that we'd be a community of people that are, have a deep passion for God, have a deep passion for his word, 
and have a deep passion for his way and that we spur one another on in and and deeper in towards uh, the Lord. That we would spur each other on to burn ablaze. It's part of the reason we do community groups. They'll be starting at the end of next month. We need brothers and sisters that help fan into flame the fire in our hearts. This is why we did summer men's groups and did women's events. Like we need to spur one another on towards this because our natural tendency is to have things run cool. We need one another to spur us on. See, see the resurrection changed their lives. These, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the resurrection changed their lives. Encountering Jesus, the risen Jesus, it changed them. And I pray the same for you and for me. I pray that we would encounter the risen Jesus and be transformed by him, be changed by him. My prayer is that the resurrection would give us a change of passion, but also a change in perspective. Because the resurrection is real. Our hope is real. Our redemption is real. Our salvation is real. For Jesus is alive. Because the resurrection is real, we see the whole Bible in light of the resurrection. And because Jesus is alive, let us have a hunger to know him. The God who died. The God who, who rose again and who reveals himself in his word. So church, may our passion, may our story, may our hope be Jesus is alive. Amen? That's good news. That's good news. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. It is the best news of all. (laughs) It is the best news of all that you are alive. The great plot twist, the one who has died is risen. But it doesn't just mean a body is alive. Our hope is alive. (laughs) The resurrection means that our redemption is alive. That one day, if you're alive, Jesus, and you're seated on the throne, it means that one day you're going to come back and make all things new. Jesus, we long for that day. We thank you that because you're alive, it means death doesn't get the final word. It means suffering doesn't get the final word. It means injustice doesn't get the final word. It means that that sin and evil and Satan don't get the final word. You do. And your final word is that you are alive and you make all things new. Jesus, we thank you. And we thank you that we can taste it. We can see it. We can experience it because your word is alive as well. So, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you do your part, God, and make our hearts burn afresh ablaze for you, for your word and for your way? I pray for those right now that are feeling like, man, my heart's cold. My heart's lukewarm towards God. I'm coming here just week in and week out, but, man, I just feel like I'm, I just feel like I'm growing colder and colder. Lord, would you meet these people? today and would you bring the fire and Lord would we take that step of faith today to get in your word to desperately call out to you we see so many people in scripture praying to you they're saying God we're confused we don't know what's happening we don't understand God I'm, I'm, I'm feeling lost and you meet them in that place Lord the only version of us you can change is the real us and so we ask I just I pray that we would come to you honestly, vulnerably, transparently, and that you would really change us, Lord. That you'd really change our lives. 
he'd really change our appetites and affections and passions towards that which truly gives life. You, your word, and your way. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. <laughs> God, thank you that you can take a half-hearted prayer and use it for your glory. You can use it for our joy and others' good. So we surrender to you now. And just even pray right now that we would experience you afresh through worship, through prayer, through communion. Lord, we're preparing the altar. We've set our time here this morning as a sacrifice. We ask you to bring the fire of your presence. All God's people said.